Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. How many of you are ready for God at the box office? Let's do this. <laughs> what a fun series, huh? Great way to launch the new year. And this morning we begin this brand new five-part series, God at the box office. We begin this morning with a movie that actually kind of surprised me that I'm picking for the series. It actually surprised me I went to see it, to be honest with you, because uh, for me, I love the theater, but I'm not necessarily a musical kind of guy. Okay, I love music, but if you ask me what kind of movie I want to see, my wife and I kind of differ on what we would prefer. Uh, she definitely prefers something softer, something more romantic. She's okay with musicals. For me, I'm not a musical genre go-to guy. But this movie, for some reason, captivated me. This movie got a hold of me, even as it was being advertised. And it was a movie that I really wanted to see, maybe in large part because of the leading character. I'm a big Hugh Jackman fan. Anybody else a Hugh Jackman fan? Okay, so I, I really like Hugh Jackman. And come on, let's be honest. Who doesn't love the circus? I mean... This might surprise you, but my very first job that I ever had was actually working at the circus. Now, I wasn't a traveling circus performer, but one summer, a small little traveling circus came to our little town in Elverson, Pennsylvania. It set up in a large field, the field that we would gather to play baseball. They just had one tent, they had benches and bleachers they put up, and somehow at the age of 10, I got this job, um, you, this will surprise you, selling peanuts at the circus, okay? Walking up and down with holding the peanuts. I don't even remember if I got paid a dime for what I did, and it didn't matter. I was at the circus. I was part of the circus. I was part of all the excitement. Well... This past spring, we had the opportunity to take our kids and our grandkids to the circus, our grandkids for the very first time, and maybe for all of us for the final time. So here's a little clip of our little trip to the circus this past spring. Now, that wasn't Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. That was the Garden Circus here in Dayton. But nonetheless, it was a fun experience just to be up close and personal to all the exotic animals and the, the death-defying acts and all of the things that go along with being at the circus. Well, in this movie, Jackman plays P.T. Barnum. And he actually tells the story, the, the movie tells the story of the beginning days of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. And it actually shows us all of these death-defying acts, these exotic animals, and most of all, these human oddities that were selected to be in this particular circus. Let's take a look at the clip near the beginning of the movie. You must be Gertrude Stratton. I'm looking for your son. I don't have a son. The hospital record says you do. Charles, right? Age 22? 
Charles. Charles. P.T. Barnum, at your service. I am putting together a show, and I need a star. You want people to laugh at me? Well, they're laughing anyway, kid, so might as well get paid. I see a soldier, no, a general, riding across the stage with a sword and a gun and the most beautiful uniform ever made. People will come from all over the world, and when they see him, they won't laugh. They'll salute. How's it looking, girls? Hey, you looking for freaks? I know where you can find one of them. Really? Come on, girls. Hello. Sir, you shouldn't be here. I'm sorry. I, who's doing this thing? You, isn't it? Sir, I have to ask you to leave. You are so talented, blessed. Extraordinary. Unique. I would even say beautiful. <laughs> Sir, please leave me alone. but they will. Okay, Anna W.D. Wheeler. Brother and sister? Yes, sir. Yes. Terrific. And what do you do? Uh, trapeze. Trapeze. Okay. You know, people aren't gonna like it if you put us on the stage. Oh, I'm counting on it. This is over your entire body. Terrific. I don't need to see it. Can I just ask how heavy you are? Do you have a number for that? I prefer not to say, just but... Just between you and me. Seven hundred and fifty pounds. Seven hundred and fifty pounds. What is your name? Uh, Vasily Pavlov, sir. Yeah, we're gonna change that name. Uh, I think you're Irish. We have a son. So the. Last year, May of 2017, um, after a 146-year run, Barnum & Bailey Circus ended.
its performances. Um, increased pressure from animal rights activists and decreasing crowds that were showing up at their events. So I guess not everyone loves the theater and loves the circus. But here's the thing about this movie. There are always main themes and main plots that we, that we can see that unfold in the movie. We can follow this movie and follow its main plot from beginning to end. There's the protagonist or the antagonist. There's all the things that make a movie good. What the guy wants, what the guy can't get, how he fights for what he wants. Good, good movie, good um, Hollywood. But what I think really comes out in this movie, as with so many movies, is the things that we often don't see and the messages that ring clear both in the subplots and in some of the sub-themes, and I think also in the title itself. So let's begin there this morning, because I think there's some message in the title itself, The Greatest Showman. I think one of the reasons I could identify with P.T. Barnum is there's a little showman in me. And I suspect there's a little showman in all of us. There's a part of all of us that long to do things that are applauded by others. We, we long to be recognized. We, we long to stand out from the crowd. Uh, there's a part of all of us, like Jesus, that are tempted to be spectacular and sensational and powerful. And unlike Jesus, I many times have surrendered and have given in to that temptation to do the sensational, to be spectacular, to be powerful. And there's something in the human heart that I think all of us deal with and all of us feel at times that want us to be performers, want us to pose, want us to be somebody we really are not, and we actually live our lives more as an illusion than we live our lives in reality. I mean, I've said it this way before. I've spent a lot more of my time in my early years of ministry and leadership working on the front stage of my life at the detriment of the backstage. But where God wants us to focus is on the heart and on the backstage. Because if there is incongruence between what's happening here, what people can see, and what's happening in private, we've got a problem, major problem. And so this temptation to be a showman I think is in all of us because it's found in the human heart. James, Jesus' half-brother, speaks about this in James uh, chapter 3 when he says this, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, notice, in your heart, that's where it begins. This desire to be a showman, this desire to pose, to pretend, to be a performer, to be something we are not, begins in the heart. It begins with jealousy and selfish ambition. It says, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, it is natural, and this is a strong word. It is demonic. It is earthly in the sense that it is actually tied and tethered to the values of this world. It is natural in the sense that we all have that as our fallback position. Putting on a mask, be somebody we are not, try to put our best foot forward, try to impress people, and in the process, we do damage to our own soul. But it's also demonic because it's not inspired by God. God is not the one who inspires selfish ambition and jealousy. In fact, it goes on to say this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
there is disorder and every evil thing. So the Bible in another place suggests that love of money is the root of all evil. Here the Bible suggests that the outcome of that root is found in selfish ambition and it's found in jealousy. What is selfish ambition? It is wanting what you don't have. What is jealousy? It is wanting what someone else has. It's wanting something that you don't have, but you believe you deserve it. You believe that you are worth it. You believe that it is owed to you. You are entitled it. And the Bible here suggests that both selfish ambition and jealousy have an outcome. They have a result. They give birth to things, and they're not good. The Bible says they produce disorder and every evil thing. A second thing in the title that I think stood out to me and it's a second message I think that we, we've got to lock on to this morning, is this idea of being the greatest. Not just great, but the greatest. I mean, I too have fallen prey to the invitation to be the greatest. I have had that carrot dangled before me, this desire to want to be the greatest. I think that's the appeal of this movie. Can you imagine if this movie was just called The Showman? That's not very fun. Or how about if it was called The Okay Showman? Or The So-So Showman, right? How many of us would have seen the movie? But, but it's the greatest show on earth, and the greatest show demands the greatest showman. And so this desire, again, much like being the showman, this desire to be not just good, not just good enough, not just okay, not just what everybody else would expect or even what God would expect, but rather we want to be the greatest. And there's this drive in all of us that actually flows out of selfish ambition and flows out of jealousy to want to be the greatest. We are not the first ones on earth to experience that. We're not the first ones who have felt the draw to want to be the greatest at whatever we do. Jesus' very own disciples struggled with this very issue. And Jesus had a lot to say about this idea of being the greatest. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 30. Jesus said, many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Here's the deal. I think you and I are going to be surprised when we get to heaven at who we see has received the most favor from God in heaven. I think the people that we expect who are going to be front of the line are not going to be the people that we would expect. I think it's going to be the commoners. I think it's going to be the people who mourn the most. I think it's going to be the people that were the most broken on earth. I think it's going to be the lowest and the least of these who God gave grace to, who did not have all of the goods of this earth, but trusted the Lord. And God met them. They put their hope in him. And I think those people are going to be applauded in heaven in a way they did not receive it here on the earth. Jesus goes on, actually, and earlier in the chapter, verse eight, chapter 18, he says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, and they had a question for him. Who, then, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, 
unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That should give us pause this morning. When I was holding in my arms little Autumn, I was thinking about how helpless she was. I was thinking about how dependent she was. I was thinking about her needs. Her survival was de- is dependent on people to care for her. There's nothing that she can do for herself. The only thing she can do is let other people know she has needs. That's it. I think it's what Jesus had in mind when he said, unless we become children. Unless we get to the place where we are so utterly dependent on God, we are so helpless in the sense that we can't fix ourselves. We got to have God help. We have to come to him in just dependence and brokenness in our need of him. I think that's what he's suggesting. He's saying, unless you become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, he says, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we don't look at little children and say, they're the greatest. No matter how impressed we are with kids, no matter how much I love my grandkids, they can get under my skin, (laughs) Just like yours, right? They can get on our nerves. They're, they're not perfect. But, but here's what the Bible, I think, is teaching. That unless we take a lowly position like a child takes, that actually puts all of their trust in others to help them and care for them, we are not going to receive God's favor. We will never be the greatest. The only way to be the greatest is to become a child. That did not satisfy the disciples. That was not enough for them. Because later on, the Bible says, they actually start disputing about this. They they start arguing about who's the greatest. There was this constant vying for position. Twelve disciples, and every one of them wanted to be first. Everyone wanted to know, where can I get in line? How can I get the best seat around the table to be right next to Jesus? In fact, two of them, James and John, had their mommy go on their behalf. And say to Jesus, can you let my son sit on your right and your left in your kingdom? And, and, and Jesus looks and says, listen, you have no idea. You have no idea what it is you're asking for. These disciples just simply didn't get it. So Luke 22 says this. The disciples bickered over which one of them would be considered the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus interrupted their argument saying, the kings and men of authority in this world ruled oppressively over their subjects claiming that they do it for the good of the people. They are obsessed with how others see them. Don't miss that. They are obsessed with how others see them. But this is not your calling. This is not God's way. This is not Jesus' method. It is not that we are concerned about how others see us. You will lead by a different model. And here's the model he gives us. The greatest one among you will live as one called to serve others without honor. It is not just that we live to serve others. It's that we live to serve others without the desire or the need to be seen. To be recognized. Listen, I am so grateful every time 
I receive an email every time I receive a text message, every time I hear from somebody that says, listen, something that you have done has really helped me, has made a difference in my life. Listen, I'm a, I'm a word of affirmation person. That brings me alive. But a long time ago, I came to the place where I didn't need that to know I was doing God's work. In other words, it's okay if, if I don't get applauded. It's okay if there are not thank yous. It's okay if, if you're just being faithful to do what God calls you to do. Without honor, it's okay. That's the way we serve. The greatest honor and authority is reserved for those who have a servant heart. The leaders who are served, who serve, are served are the most important in your eyes, but in the kingdom, it is the servants who lead. And, and then he gives us this example. Am I not here with you as one who serves you? So Jesus says very clearly two things about being the greatest. If you're here this morning and your drive in 2019 is to be the greatest in your field, the greatest at what you do, here's my two pieces of advice. One, become a dependent child in your heart, in your attitude. And secondly, take on the position of a servant. Just do what you do to serve others without needing the honor, the applause, the acknowledgement, the recognition. It's going to be okay. Here's why. One day you're going to get it. Because everything we do here on this earth that is unseen by others, listen, God sees it. God is not overlooking it. And one day God is going to bring all of those things to the forefront. And we're going to be applauded as a well done and faithful servant for the things we did here in the body that were never seen, were never recognized by others. Now, I think those two title themes are powerful and are important for us to hear. But there are three kind of subplots or subthemes in this movie that I think are also worth mentioning this morning because I think they come out throughout the movie in different and various forms and ways. And here they are. Here's the first one. If I do not make peace with my past, my future will pay the price. If I don't make peace with my past, my future will pay the price. In this movie, you see two uh, important things to Barnum that drove him in his life. There were two family of origin um, things that, that affected him significantly. The first one is he was born into poverty. He had nothing. His dad was a tailor who served the people who were people of, of, of worth, people who had wealth. He grew up without much. And sometimes when we grow up in scarcity, all we want to do is become a self-made person, a self-made millionaire, a self-made whatever it is that drives you. But then he marries a woman that he actually meets in his childhood and the, from the moment he gets married to her, he, he, he gets her hand in marriage with the disapproval of her, her dad. Her dad says, you are a nothing. You are worth nothing. You'll never amount to nothing. You'll never become anybody great. In fact, my daughter is going to come back here begging to come back home someday. That's how much I don't believe in you, Barnum. You talk about a wound. And what you discover as the movie develops in the narrative is that he's living his life dealing and living through the scars and the pain 
of so much of his past. Trying to prove that he is worth something. Trying to prove that he's significant. Trying to gain the acceptance of those who never gave him what I would call the father blessing. Every child needs the father blessing. Every child needs their dad or a dad's surrogate to look at them and say, you are worth something. You are important. You matter. I value you. You're significant. You are not defined by what you do. You are defined by what God says you are. And in my life, I've learned that I have lived craving that for much of my life, wanting that, desiring that. Fortunately, I got it from my father-in-law. What I didn't get from my dad, my father-in-law has been able to provide me. It's been a gift. And what we discover is Barnum is living with all of the pain of his past. And here's the reality. If we don't deal with it, and if we don't come to terms with it, and we don't actually find peace with our past, it actually has a way of costing us in our future. It isn't a matter of if it will. It's only a matter of when and how much it'll cost. The second, I think, sub-theme and sub-plot that, um, that we see in this movie that I think is, is really important for us to think about and to develop is that Barnum actually does something with everybody he comes into relationship with. He actually adds value to them. Now, here's the second thing that I think is important, the second subplot. Different isn't bad. Different is just different. If there's one thing in the movie that I think is worth actually uh, honoring and lifting up is the way that Barnum and those are portrayed to actually add value and dignity and respect to every single human being on this planet. You know, Barnum in this movie seems to have an affinity for those who are marginalized. I think it's because he himself knew what it meant. He knew what it felt like to be marginalized by his family, be marginalized by society. And so he has this uncanny ability to actually take people who are dealing with the scars of family rejection and say to them, you are important, you have value. He actually has a way of bringing people out of the shadows where they've been hiding and celebrating their uniqueness. He does this with everybody, including a man he gets into a partnership with who was in a league outside of his league. His name was Philip Carlisle. He was a playwright who was successful. He was producing things that everybody wanted to see, and Barnum was struggling to make it work in his museum, which became a, theater, became a circus. And so he, he goes to uh, this guy, Philip Carlisle, and actually invites him to partner with his circus. And he agrees, finally, reluctantly to do it. Well, when he enters it, he is a man who comes from incredible wealth, prestige, and honor. He's now working with a circus, which in his family and in his community and his, and his social surroundings was, was frowned upon. He begins a relationship with a young lady who was the trapeze artist 
and takes her for her very first time to a theater. And there he actually is confronted with his past, with his reality. And I really appreciate what happens in this scene. Take a look at it. Mr. Bonham said he left a ticket for me. I'm not sorry. I, I believe there's only supposed to be one. No, there's meant to be two. I wasn't sure you'd come if I asked. Five minutes to curtain. I've always wanted to go to the theater. Philip, is that you? Mother? Father? This is Ann Wheeler. Philip. Have you no shame? Associating yourself with that Barnum business is one thing. But parading around with the help. Ann. 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 How dare you speak to her like that? You forget your place, Philip. My place? Mother, if this is my place, then I don't want any part of it. Here's why I like that scene. Philip Carlyle, maybe for the first time in his life, becomes an adult. He actually says, I prefer something different than you prefer. I know it's the way I was raised. I know it's what's expected of me. But I want you to know, I don't choose this. I want something different. I'm choosing a different path for my life. He, he actually, maybe for the very first time in his life, confronts his parents and says, if this is my place, trapped by your expectations, then I don't want to be in this place. I'm choosing a different place. And he may have been the most odd person in the circus because he was just out of place with all the other characters that were at the circus. I think in some way the... The collection of different characters in this movie, in the circus, is a little bit of a reflection of the church of Jesus Christ. A glorious gathering of diverse unity. I want you to think about it. We are redeemed by Christ. We are brought to faith. Salvation puts us in right standing with God. And then God puts us in a community of people who are a lot unlike us. We become part of a family that doesn't look like us, that doesn't all think like us. And in some strange sort of way that only God could do, we become part of a fellowship of difference that are actually all about representing God's kingdom here on earth. Our individualization is neither idolized nor minimized in God's kingdom. We are not becoming clones of one another. We are rather being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, even though we're all different. We're becoming unified, one in Christ. The final sub-theme I think is important to mention this morning as we, as we bring this to a, a conclusion. Here it is. Your wealth 
does not determine your ultimate worth. Your wealth does not determine your ultimate worth. I think by the end of the movie, what Barnum discovers is that very truth. He's living his life to become a self-made millionaire. He's driven by prestige and power and position. He wants all of the accolades of everyone around him. Becoming a person of influence is not enough for Barnum. He wants to become a person of affluence and of power. And yet what he discovers at the end of his life is exactly what Solomon discovered at the end of his life. Solomon writes about it in Ecclesiastes. When he says this in chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. What do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. That was Barnum. It is all meaningless. Listen, nothing wrong with hard work. Nothing wrong with standing out from the crowd. Nothing wrong with doing something great here on the earth. As long as it's done for the right reasons and for the right person. Because when it isn't, it will leave us feeling just like Solomon felt and just like Barnum felt. And I think if I have two criticisms with this movie, here would be the first one. I think this movie puts a little bit of a positive spin on exploitation. I think if you look historically at the story of Barnum, what you discover is there is a darker side to what was going on than what was portrayed in Hollywood. And that darker side is that there was this comfort level with human trafficking, with actually taking people, putting them into a place and into a role that was for people's pleasure, people's fun, people to laugh at them, and for personal gain. And there's no doubt that there was exploitation at some level in the way that Barnum and Bailey Circus actually, for many years, was run. Jesus actually warns about this very thing of putting people into a place where they're serving your own values, where greed has a grip on your heart. Luke's Gospel Jesus actually says this in chapter 12, verse 15. Speaking to the people, Jesus continued, Be alert and guard your heart from greed and always wishing for what you don't have. For your life can never be measured by the amount of things that you possess. And if there's a second criticism that I would say, it's actually with the way that excessive individualism is portrayed. And don't get me wrong, I think there is incredible value, incredible dignity in every person's uniqueness. But here's actually what this movie tends to point to, underlying it. It points to the fact that in life, if you don't get what you want, and if people don't see you for who you really are, then you actually have to recreate the narrative to get it. So the words of the movie 
come alive actually say this. They say, listen, you're sleeping inside. That's the problem. But here's the solution. Go and take and redefine the world and find your happiness and become the person that you've always wanted to be. Now, there's a tension with that as a follower of Christ. And here's the tension. The tension is that we are supposed to live our lives in a unique way, but we are not to live them for ourselves. We are to live them for Christ. So the song, This Is Me, says that very thing. Listen, this is me. Like it or leave it. Take me for who I am. Or listen, we can't have relationship. I'll resist everything from my past that doesn't take me just the way that I am. But the message of the gospel is this. It is not this is who I am. It is this is who God made me to be. This is who I am in Christ. That is my identity. My identity is found in Jesus. It is found in who he has created me to be. So listen, Jesus offers us an alternative to coming alive. And that alternative is that we find our place in him. That we find our life in him and him alone. And actually Barnum at the end of his life comes to a point where he had lost everything. He had lost his circus. He had lost his opportunity to make it big in theater with a singing cessation from Sweden. He had lost everything. He thought he had lost his family and he thought the whole troop had deserted him. And he's sitting and he's commiserating. And the troop shows up and he, he sings this song at the end. I'm going to play just a portion of it. Because the first couple of times I actually heard it, man, I, it, it got me. And it got me because I could so identify with Barnum of what it was like to want to live all of your life trying to find the spotlight. Trying to be somebody maybe you weren't. But getting to the point where you recognize what is most important. Are those who love you, those you love, and your family. That's what matters. Take a look at this clip, and then we'll close. I saw the sun begin to dim and felt that winter wind blow cold. A man learns who is there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold. Cause from that rubble what remains can only be what's true. If all was lost, there's more I gained Cause it led me back To you drink champagne with kings and queens the politicians praised my name but those were someone else's dreams the pitfalls of the man I became for years and years I chased their cheers a crazy speed of always needing more 
From now on, my eyes will not be blinded by the light or even the applause of others. That's the applause of someone else's dream. The pitfalls of the man I became. Barnum's saying, listen, all of the things that I've lived for haven't brought me what I thought they would. Because at the end of the day, true life is not defined by the standards of this world. True life is defined by knowing Christ, by having relationship with him. Listen, that's enough. And, and is that enough for us, is the question. Does that do enough to satisfy the deepest yearning and longing in our heart? Well, if you've never accepted Christ, that'd be the starting point. And if you have, I would encourage you, the beginning of this year is a good time to reaffirm your faith in Christ. I want to invite you all to stand with me this morning. If you haven't seen the movie, go see it. Get, get a DVD, get a Blu-ray. Watch it. Enjoy it. It's a great show. Um, but there's so many good themes, I think, that we can pick up in this movie that, um, that we can learn about. So not sure this morning with your head bowed and eyes closed with what, which one resonates with you that we've talked about this morning. Maybe it's the title of being the showman or being the greatest. Maybe that's driven you much of your life. Maybe your life has been affected and poisoned by your past in some way. And God is inviting you to go back so that you can go forward as a healthier you. And perhaps for you, it's, it's feeling like your worth is tethered to your wealth. And God is encouraging you today to find your worth in Him and Him alone. Because that's the only way we come alive. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for this morning. Thanks for this chance to launch this new year with uh, this series and with this particular movie. Pray that you would continue to speak through our hearts, God, throughout today and this week as we, we think about these ideas and this, most of all the scriptures, Lord, that have spoken to us today. May our hearts be tender. May our hearts be pliable. May they be yielded. May they be good soil so that, God, you can do a work inside of us and, and draw us and transform us to being more like your son, Jesus. May this year, God, be a year of tremendous growth in our lives and here at our church as we look to you. We thank you. We love you. We pray your blessing as we go today. Keep us, God, in the hollow of your hand. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great, great week. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.